Three deeper cuts, yes please. What's going on, y'all? This is your Lifestyle Magazine for the Practicing Surgical Pathologist. I am your host, Chuck G. Every week, we bring you something to think about, something to read, or something to listen to. Three Deeper Cuts is brought to you by Formalin Fix Paraffin Embedded Tissue. Emphasis on the formalin, because without the high exposure to 10% buffer neutral formalin that I experienced during my four years of residency in St. Louis, I wouldn't be able to think about half the things that I write about on Three Deeper Cuts Publishing. And if you're not a pathologist and you're listening to this right now, thank you and welcome couple of announcements for today. Where are we at? It's enchilada night. You guys like enchiladas? Yeah, that's what we're doing here. You got to stay plump out here on these streets. It has been ice cold down here in the D. Cold for the Tejanos. Yeah. Yeah, that's what I am now. I'm part of the people. So, um, it's crazy. I didn't, I I wasn't ready for this extreme and the weather is about the only tame thing that you can talk about anymore, right? Oh, you want to hear about trending topics? You want to hear about, you know what? I'm not even going to get in all that. We're like 10 years from the next world war. You know, if you read the news every day, just unsubscribe from this Substack. Just go do your thing. This is not the right place for you. We're trying to get out of the 24-hour news cycle. But uh, so when I started doing these, it was under the theme of writing and building in public. Okay. So it's been a while since I just read stuff from my feed, read drafts out to you, but a lot of you are driving when you're listening to, you know, when you get your email, and I don't want you reading your emails on the road. I mean, that's like driving in Texas. I was on a Spaces today, and it was about, like, parenting. Uh, There was, like, a coach talking about parenting techniques, and some guy gets up there and asks about... uh, I don't know what he's saying. He was saying like being the right, you know, uh, being a top-notch dad for his daughter or something like that. I don't know. It was something about being perfect. And I was like, dude, I have a serious problem with swearing while I drive. And I've always had a little bit of a potty mouth, but I've been able to control it over the years. But until I started driving in Texas, people are wilding out here, brother. It's crazy. I've never seen this many homicidal maniacs on the road, and uh, they want their freedom. Got the freedom. You want to drive like a murderer? That's all right. We'll fight for our rights. We're driving around with assault rifles. It's all right. It's crazy, man. So if you're down here, look, you can have a good life, but just stay really close to your place of work. I stopped commuting, I think, exactly eight years ago to the day. I'm not into commuting. Forget it. Not interested. 
So, okay, let's get into it. A manifesto. This account exists because modern physicians have become fat, burned out, and cynical. This account exists to make the modern doctor fitter, happier, and more fulfilled. This account exists for the working doctor and his or her patients in the trenches of community practice where diagnoses are made and treatments are rendered, in the hallways of medicine where diseases lie. Well, there you go. I got some free downloads for you over at chuckgmd.gumroad.com. Again, chuckgmd.gumroad.com. Check it out. I just condensed some of my previous writings into a checklist format or some actionable format so you can get some benefit out of it. Look, I've made a lot of mistakes in medicine uh, and in life. And I write about it here. Stories from the trenches of medicine, right here. Formerly 3 Deeper Cuts. I guess it's, I don't know what the name is going to be, dude. Right now it's Chuck GMD. I, I don't know. I didn't want this to be under my, like, just all about me. But I guess from this course I'm taking, that's, that's what you got to do. You got to build the personal brand. It's like, whatever, dude. I'm doing this for fun. I'm doing this for fun, man. Okay. For fun. Another quailor? She's gonna love me again. Johnny Pepper like me. Okay, let's let's get into it. Seven lessons on success in private practice. Seven lessons on success in private practice. When I graduated college, I moved into my parents' basement. I had decided late that I wanted to be a doctor. I was an economics major with no experience in the sciences. I got a job as a billing clerk at a local specialty hospital, loaded up on pre-med credits. I used to carry an old Rubbermaid container loaded up with pasta and red sauce to keep me going through the long study sessions in the campus library. My bank account was empty. Ten years later, I moved into my dream office with a brand new Olympus BX43 light microscope sitting on a large cherry wood desk, surrounded by excellent support staff and working with the top surgeons and oncologists in the region. Here's what I learned about the road to, quote, success. Seven lessons. Number one, your routine living in your parents' basement defines your routine in your dream office. An athlete since high school, I used to work out, study, and prepare late-night meals alone in that basement. When the pressure was on, I'd go into mercenary mode, wake up at 4.30, go for a short walk to clear my head, and strap myself to the small basement desk for 45-minute sessions of practice MCAT tests. Periods of anxiety were purged by push-ups, short jogs up and down the hill outside my basement patio, and short-form Tai Chi, which I taught myself from a thrift store DVD. The only difference today, a large cherry wood desk. Number two, all you really need are borrowed books, a composition notebook, and a stack 
of index cards. For the first few years of pre-med and med school, I had a shitty Dell Latitude computer with a questionable CD-ROM drive. I didn't have Anki, a spaced repetition application, or recorded lectures, or YouTube. I had a stack of 3x5 cards that I got for $4.99 at Office Depot and a couple of Mead composition notebooks. When I look at my office today, the two other things that mean the, the, the two things that mean the most to me are my index cards and my stack of borrowed books. All you need. Number three, discipline is doctoring. In my early 20s, I was so determined to become a successful doctor that I stopped drinking for four years. Even the slightest hangover would affect my concentration. All of my friends, mostly finance majors, thought I was crazy. But four years later, I was a doctor. Money is a distraction. That's number four. Money is a distraction. I was insecure about moving into my parents' basement after graduating college. I didn't bring any girls over. My college friends were making six figures at investment banks in New York and San Francisco. It took me years of residency training to learn that those insecurities weren't about my parents' basement. They were about me. And the pay increase I would get as an attending physician wouldn't fix them. Number five. If you can't do it in the basement, you won't be able to do it on the beach. Nebraska is cold. Some days I would hate that cold basement where I studied pre-med sciences in Nebraska. I dreamed of living somewhere with beaches and palm trees. Kids I grew up with used to say, once I achieve X, then I'll work on Y. But in medicine and in life, The end zone keeps shifting. The road keeps winding. Greg LeMond, the American cycling champion, said, It never gets easier. You only go faster. Let's say that again. It never gets easier. You only go faster. Success means doing what you don't want to do. Relish the cold basement. Number six. When your bills are paid, be wary of distractions. The discipline it took you to get behind that shiny cherry wood desk is fleeting. You can lose it in an instant. I have disposable income now. I can buy a new car whenever. I can afford most nice restaurants in my area. In my 20s, those options didn't exist. Recall, pasta and red sauce. A threadbare budget can be a gift too. Number seven, wanting the MD is more fun than having the MD. One afternoon, three days after I moved into my dream office, I stepped out to pick up my three-year-old son from daycare. We came back to the office, sat down, and shared an oatmeal cookie I got from the doctor's lounge. Now what? I asked. More cookie, he responded. I'd spend over a decade grinding on the medicine wards and in the laboratory trying to get here only to get to the desired destination without knowing how to enjoy it. One final story. 
A year ago, I had the opportunity to speak for a national society of laboratory physicians and private practice leaders. It was at a nice hotel in sunny Las Vegas. You'd know some of the big ticket vendors. They'd flown me out for a work weekend. Corporate labs and a few consultants were there. I looked out into the room full of professionals and I told them my story. Applying these lessons to getting my first job as an attending. One group CEO who I, I admire was a practicing dermatopathologist at one of the most successful physician-owned practices in the country. He'd worked his way up from nothing, the middle-class child of working immigrants from India. In awe, I said, you made it, man. Two kids, a big house, and the financial freedom to enjoy your retirement. His eyes gazed up from his steaming cup of illy coffee, and he gently shook his head. Actually, it's killing me. To retire, he would have to leave his local hospital and the community he served. For 30 years, desperately understaffed and without adequate clinical and anatomic laboratory coverage. In his state, only one medical student in the last five years had gone into the field of pathology. The recruitment pipeline was drier than West Texas. In order to retire without abandoning his community, he had to enlist the help of an expensive recruiting agency without guarantee of being fully staffed. Once we achieve our, our dream of practicing medicine, we think the road somehow gets easier. We think the struggle is over. From my own experience and listening to countless stories at meetings like the one in Vegas, the road of the community physician is, is uphill. The steep grade keeps you fit. So set your attention on self-mastery, daily self-discipline, and create special time to pursue the creative and expressive things that bring you joy and broaden your perspective. Success as a community physician rests on teamwork and intellectual curiosity. The same things that fueled you through, that fueled you through your pre-med years in a cold basement in Nebraska. Borrowed books, a fresh stack of three by five index cards, two composition notebooks, your computer, your desk, and your hospital environment may change, but your intrinsic role as a doctor won't. Be well, professors. A little bit corny at the end. Chuck G. All right, so let's break it down a little bit. Let's get into it. That was a thread or a little long form that I trimmed down a lot, but since this is a podcast format, let's just explain to you what I meant. So my folks had a, a nice little place in um, Lincoln, Nebraska, and I moved back in after college, and that was a very isolated time, isolative time for me. I did this summer in Mumbai where I worked for an investment bank. And all my friends at the time were finance, accounting type people. And they were all going into corporate America. They all got, quote, prestigious jobs at the big banks. And a few years later, you know, some of them would transition into private equity and do that whole jam. And 
I lost touch with all of them. There was just, there was not enough time and I was geographically restricted. I was, I mean, Nebraska is a long ways from Chicago or New York where most of my friends wound up. And it was, it was very, very isolative. So I had a lot of burning in my belly that this is what I really wanted to do. And I think that's why I started this whole uh, podcast writing practice because that mission still hasn't changed. I still love what I do. I might get angry with the bureaucracy. I might get frustrated of personnel issues over the years, but that's in any that's in any field. Bottom line is that by the time you get to daily practice in medicine, your basic needs are for the most part met. Uh, and at this point I can only speak to the practice of surgical and clinical pathology. Uh, which, by the way, let this podcast also serve as a, as a recruiting aid and as a marketing tool for our beloved industry because it really is a great job. I think that, the, I think that pathology probably saved my life because I was getting burned out from practicing clinical medicine in the Navy. And that's a different story. We, we won't get into all that. All right, so all you really need are books, composition notebooks, and a stack of index cards. What do I mean by that? So in the internet age, you have access to everything. And a MacBook and an iPhone, these are incredible tools if you use them the right way, but they're also a license for procrastination. And you know exactly what I'm talking about. Just wasting time, not staying, adhering to your schedule, and just getting lost in the consumer mindset. I personally think that side hustle should be a course in medical school. I think every physician should have uh, a side hustle. I hope that if you're listening to this, I hope you start a podcast. Maybe you'll be bigger than I am. Good for you. I'm rooting for you. Because I have a positive sum mindset. If you win, we all win. And I wish that more physicians would step up to the plate and lobby for our interests. Um, but, you know, I, I can't... Look, I can't, everyone's got to figure things out on their own. You know, I can tell you right now that basically if all physicians get together... There's enough of us that you could that you could just basically bring the whole reimbursement scam like to their knees. They need us. Without without physicians, you don't have medicine. There's no one to do the work. Um but I will resist the temptation to going in, into a tangent slash diatribe on organized medicine. Uh that's that's the second thing I resisted going into. What's going on with me? Uh, more stuff to write about, obviously. I'm just trying to keep this focused for the purposes of this episode. The next one, discipline is doctoring. So I think the greatest gift that my parents ever gave me was sport. My, my dad was an athlete. My mom, my mom was an athlete too, not, not as hardcore. But yeah, my dad would come home like dripping with sweat, you know, like running, you know, seven, eight, nine, ten miles in the Nebraska summers in the evening. Uh, he was hardcore, and that was like after working a full day as a surgeon. Uh, he was an impressive guy, and he taught me, and my mom taught me the value of personal discipline, and laziness just was not tolerated in my house. 
the greatest gift they gave me was uh, putting, you know, putting me on the high school swim team. And like for, actually, it started earlier than that. I started competitive swimming, I think, in middle school. And there were times where I wanted to quit, but my parents, specifically my mom, would not let me quit um, because she knew that the team's regimented practices, though grueling and exhausting, they kept me out of trouble, they kept me off drugs, and they gave me structure to my day. They kept me disciplined. It would take me a lifetime to kind of learn how to channel that discipline into writing and podcasting. And, and frankly, I struggled a lot in the early days of med school because I wasn't really a natural good student. I was a, I was a grinded out type of guy. I probably worked way harder than I, that I needed to had I known how to structure disciplined study sessions, had, had I, uh, learned how to use flashcards earlier. Um, like in high school, but you know, I was all over the place. You know, that's you, you live and learn. Okay, uh, next. Money is a distraction. Okay, this is. I feel very strongly about this. Um, and there were definitely times in those pre med days where I thought I had made a mistake. I was very upset. Um, I didn't have a lot of money. I was working this part time job. You know, I hated asking. Um, anyone for help. Anytime I'd go out to dinner was, you know, like my cousins, they'd always pay for me. I always felt like kind of a bitch. Um, but you know, it's like my hours were all occupied with studying and working my little part-time job that didn't really pay that much, but it looked good on my CV to get into med school. And I ended up getting in on the first try because of all those extra things that I was doing. So, you know, it is what it is. And coming full circle, I wouldn't train, I I would not trade the purpose that I have on a daily basis, I would not trade that for anything. Because at the end of the day, I come home and I'm not burned out. I'm excited that I get to do this. I get to be a part of this. It's a gift to take care of sick people, to render a tissue diagnosis. Nobody else can do what I do. I mean, you can. You're, I mean, my friends on this podcast, obviously you can. Nobody else can do what we do. Not a lot of people. So uh, that's a great responsibility, and every day I am grateful for that. Uh, Okay, so money is a distraction. What, What am I really saying there? I'm saying that don't make the mistake that a lot of doctors do. Not just doctors, but a lot of people that make six figures. People make this mistake of keeping up with the Joneses, right? You want that extra bedroom in your house. You know, you want to live large. You want to buy that extra house, right? You want to do all this extra crap, right? Like you want to do the private school thing for your kids. You want to go on expensive vacations, all all of this stuff. But like, it was never about that, dude. And... I think there's a tremendous benefit to living extremely below your means. And part of this has to do with who your spouse is. So I was very choosy when I chose a partner. Uh, I wanted, you know, someone who grew up a little rough and uh, would be okay with 
you know, living a simple life. Because look, we live a simple life right now. I could have bought a house already. I chose not to. I chose not to because I want walk away money. You know, in the big scheme of things, doctors, you know, we do okay, but we're not, we don't make that much money. And the, the legit wealthy doctors that you do see, they didn't really get wealthy from medicine per se. They got some seed capital, but they didn't really get wealthy from medicine per se. They had other pursuits that they were really smart about. And you don't hear about the people that failed. A lot of doctors do these side real estate projects and completely run it into the ground. So I actually don't recommend any of that stuff unless you are relentlessly curious about it. If you're relentlessly curious about real estate, then yeah, absolutely. Choose that as your side hustle. Me, I'm relentlessly curious about books and podcasting and writing and doing open mic comedy in seedy, slimy Texas bars. That's what I'm into. But you got to do what's right for you. Some of you are obsessed with uh, stock picking. Great. Fantastic. And set aside some money and then that'll be like your, your get ahead money, trading stocks. If you're really good at that sort of thing and you can outperform the market, wonderful. But you don't have a lot of time to do it in, right? And you got to keep the main thing the main thing somehow, right? I mean, medicine is <laughs> takes a lot of psychological energy, so... Uh, Whatever you do on the side for extra income or even with, without income. I mean, I'm paying to do this right now because I love it so much. It's got to be something that fills your cup, per se, gives you energy. So money is a distraction, dude. Don't get caught up in buying dumb shit that you don't need. Just don't do it. All right, next one. If you can't do in the basement, you won't be able to do on the beach. Okay. This kind of comes back to that simple lifestyle. But that Greg Lamont quote, I had that written on my wall for years. And I keep coming back to it. It never gets easier. You only go faster. It's so true. You can do stuff now that you've been, now that you've been in practice for a few years. You can breeze through complicated cases that would have taken you hours earlier. And I remember when I was just doing outpatient clinical medicine once you nail down like the top 20 clinical presentations you know like back pain neck pain sinus issues right uh the approach to syncope the approach to anemia you know once you get like the basics down like it's just plug and chug so that's a good thing but i have found that You want to keep your life as simple as possible, and you want to lean into the hard stuff. So it never gets easier. You only go faster. Use the time from the fat, the time you save from doing the faster stuff, the, the stuff that gets easier. Use that to lean into the more complicated stuff. I'm I'm going on my third CME course this year. You know that's how paranoid I am of like not knowing what I'm doing. So I'm doing the third course virtually. It was that U.S. cap thing in, in the Palm Springs. But I wanted to save some cash, you know, save it up for the next family vacation. So I'm trying to take my kid out to West Texas again, West Texas again because 
he's like obsessed with cactuses and stuff. So anyways, thank thankful for technology that I can do these courses virtually. But I think that's what I was going for with point number five. Number six, when your bills are paid, be wary of distractions. Yeah, I touched on this already. Don't buy dumb shit that you don't need. A threadbare budget can be a gift too. Just go Rastaman, you know, live simply like a Buddhist monk. You can be happy with very little. And some of the richest people I know that have all the bells and whistles in their lives, they have all the Teslas, they have all the fancy vacations. Some of these people are trapped. Some of them are trapped with debt and some of them are trapped by their own compulsions. I got a, I know a guy who can't stop buying guitar pedals. The guy will just travel around the United States and everywhere he goes, he'll buy two or three guitar pedals. Each is anywhere from 300 to $500. So you never know what's under the hood. So just keep your own house in order. Keep your own simple lifestyle. And don't assume that just because other people have more bells and whistles in their life that they're necessarily happier. It's, their happiness is another, none of your business, really. And, but I, I thought that that was a worthy point to talk about because I found myself falling into that trap years ago. I found myself falling into that trap. But I would always pull myself away from it. And I think it was because I was able to find the stuff that was just interesting to me to focus on that. You're, you're way better off getting addicted to building something, you know, whether that's your career or something on the side, than just collecting dumb stuff like physical objects, consumer goods. Um, it's it's going to get you nowhere. It's a compulsion, an addiction. All right, so that was the last point. And then, and then this story about the uh, dermatopathologist. So, yeah... It, you know, like, I think the point I'm trying to make there is that this guy was in a place where he wanted to retire, but he, like, he would basically be turning his back on his community. He could have never foreseen this recruitment uh, pipeline dry up, you know, like 10 or 20 years ago. Um, but it's, it's serious now. And, I mean, I, I, I'm glad I'm at the beginning of my career, but this is a problem we're all going to face. Unless more people go into this line of work, or unless immigration uh, immigration law changes to let in more uh, qualified foreign medical grads, uh, there is a serious shortage of of pathologists. It's going to be that way for a long time. So, and I know there's always the counterpoint was like, oh yeah, I think doesn't the AMA intentionally keep the number of doctors? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay, sure, fine. You got me. Fine. Yeah. No. They want to keep the supply low. Okay, fine. Why wouldn't you? But this was just an anecdote about where the rubber meets the road. And I'm just making a point that um, there's challenges and struggles, even at retirement age, in this example. That's all I want to say. Borrowed books, three by five cards, composition notebooks, low tech, high performance. It's like the philosophy of my whole life. I only have a MacBook 
because it's absolutely necessary. And actually, my favorite piece of technology right now is the microphone that I'm holding right now. And if you're at all, look, if you're all interested in, in doing this type of thing, Yellow Tech, it's a German company. They make this microphone. Basically, it's got leveling, balancing built into it, and you basically just put the, you just put the, whatever, uh, memory card. You just slip a memory card, slip a chip in there, and then just start and just hit record, and and that's it. You don't have to like upload it anywhere for. I mean, I still do that Adobe balancing because it fills in some of the gaps, um, but but this microphone is money. Like it it, it does a really great job. And it's portable. You can take it anywhere and just have your stuff sound better. So that's all I wanted to say for this week. That's all I wanted to say. I just wanted to do a little recap of uh, something that I, that I wrote on the timeline. I wanted to share that with you. Hopefully you got some benefit out of it. That's all for today's episode of Three Deeper Cuts, the lifestyle magazine for the practicing surgical pathologist, bringing you high-signal content fueled by 10% buffered neutral formalin. I hope you enjoyed listening. If you like this content, subscribe to the newsletter at chuckgmd.substack.com. Again, chuckgmd.substack.com. And if you want some free PDF downloads, I got some workout cards and some free guides, you can download... Those at chuckgmd.gumroad.com, chuckgmd.gumroad.com. And I thank you for your attention. Hope you have an excellent rest of your day, professors. Until next time, be well and stay curious. Peace.